0: We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842 and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment. Of the Sunday, February fifth episode, that would be episode I think it's one fifty-eight of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host, and uh, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a newly made proud member of the Christian Podcast Network. You can find the podcast for the Christian Podcast Network over at Podcasts dot striving for eternity dot org. I would definitely recommend you get over there and look through them. There's some wonderful ones over there. Um, definitely, my brothers and sisters in Christ doing a great job over there. Um, the only reason I don't listen to all of them is that I run out of time during the day. Um, but I do listen to a number of them, and I would definitely recommend that you go over there and look through um, and listen through and find yourself some good ones. Because definitely worth your while. Um, I want to remind you about the last uh, link in the show notes. It is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church, um, give, and go campaign. We are, uh, <clears throat> we are working to try to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence, um, development of a Christian classic education based school for our community to provide an alternative to either homeschooling or, um, the public schools, not that we have a problem with homeschooling, but we know there's some families that, that want to and can't. So we want to provide an, an alternative they feel they can trust. Um, so we're definitely moving towards that. Um, so, you know, definitely click on the link, go take a look and read through, um, what our pastor has put up there about it. Um, then we would ask three things of you to pray for us, to prayerfully consider giving, and to pass the link on to other folks that you know so that they can do the same thing. All right. Well, with all that said, I'm going to go ahead and jump straight into it. I actually didn't get this recorded last night. I'm doing it actually this Sunday morning, and I I need to get this recorded for you and out. One, so you can listen to it, and two, so I can get ready to go to church because, wow, last night I was, it was a, it was a, it was a good day yesterday, but it was a long day yesterday. So, and I hope you are getting ready to go to church this morning. Um, definitely would encourage you to worship with the saints this morning. Um, it is, it is not a request. It is a mandate. Um, it is an indicative or, or I'm sorry, it is an imperative from God that we do so. Um, all you gotta do is look in, I think it's Hebrews four. So, With all that said, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to open up this morning like we always do on Sunday morning with the first day morning prayer. It's called Worship. Let's pray. O Lord, we commune with thee every day, but the weekdays are worldly days, and secular concerns reduce heavenly impressions. We bless thee, therefore, for the day sacred to our souls, when we can wait upon thee and be refreshed we thank thee for the institutions of religion by use of which we draw near to thee and Thou to us we rejoice in another lord's day when we call off our minds from the cares of the world and attend upon thee without distraction let our retirement be devout our conversation edifying our reading pious our hearing profitable that our souls may be quickened and elevated we are going to the house of prayer pour upon us the spirit of grace and supplication we are going to the house of praise Awaken in us every grateful and cheerful emotion. We are going to the house of instruction. Give testimony to the word preached, and glorify it in the hearts of all who hear. May it enlighten the ignorant. Awaken the careless. Reclaim the wandering. Establish the weak. Comfort the feeble-minded. Make ready a people for their Lord. Be a sanctuary to all who cannot come. Forget not those who never come. And do thou bestow upon us benevolence towards our dependents, forgiveness towards our enemies, Peaceableness towards our neighbors, openness towards our fellow Christians. Amen. All right. Now our February fifth morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Uh, the text for it is First John four fourteen. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It is a sweet thought that Jesus Christ did not come forth without His Father's permission, authority, consent, and assistance. He was sent of the father that he might be the savior of men we are too apt to forget that while there are distinctions as to the persons in the trinity there are no distinctions of honor we too frequently ascribe the the honor of our salvation or at least the depths of its benevolence more to jesus christ than we do the father this is a very great mistake what if jesus came did not his father send him if he spake wondrously Did not his Father pour grace into his lips, that he might be an able minister of the new covenant? He who knoweth the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, as he should, know them, never setteth one before another in his love. He sees them at Bethlehem, at Gethsemane, and on Calvary, all equally engaged in the work of salvation. O Christian, hast thou put thy confidence in the man Christ Jesus? Hast thou placed thy reliance solely on him? and art thou united with him. Then believe that thou art united unto the God of heaven. Since to the man Christ Jesus thou art brother, and holdest closest fellowship, thou art linked thereby with God the Eternal, and the Ancient of Days is thy father and thy friend. Didst thou ever consider the depth of love in the heart of Jehovah, when God the Father equipped his Son for the great enterprise of mercy? If not, be this thy day's meditation. The Father sent him contemplate that subject think how jesus works what the father wills in the wounds of the dying savior see the love of the great i am let every thought of jesus be also connected with the eternal ever blessed god for it pleased the lord to bruise him he hath put him to grief all right now into our scripture reading we're going to start in exodus 21 verse 22 Hear the word of the Lord. And if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband will set for him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound. And if a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and ruins it, he shall let him go free on account of his eye. And if he knocks out a tooth of his male or female slave, he shall let him go free on account of his tooth. And if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall go unpunished if however an ox was previously in the habit of goring and its owner has been warned yet he does not confine it and it puts a man or a woman to death the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death if a ransom is demanded of him then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is demanded of him whether it gores a son or a daughter it shall be done to him according to the same judgment if the ox gores a male or female slave the owner shall give his or her master thirty shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned and if a man opens a pit or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it over and an ox or a donkey falls into it the owner of the pit shall make restitution he shall give money to its owner and the dead animal shall become his and if one man's ox hurts another so that it dies then they shall sell the live ox and divide its price equally and also they shall divide the dead ox. Or if it is known that the ox was previously in the habit of goring, yet its owner has not confined it, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall become his. Exodus 22. Oh, sorry, I'm going to get some coffee. Mm. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox, and four sheep for the sheep. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. He shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If what he stole is actually found alive in his hand, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double." If a man lets a field or vineyard be grazed bare, and lets his animals loose, so that it grazes in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field, and the best of his own vineyard. If a fire breaks out, and spreads to thorn bushes, so that stacked grain, or the standing grain, or the field itself is consumed, he who started the fire shall surely make restitution." if a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him and it is stolen from the man's house if the thief is caught he shall pay double if the thief is not caught then the owner of the house shall appear before the judges to determine whether he laid his hands on his neighbor's property for every breach of trust whether it is for ox for donkey for sheep for clothing or for any lost thing about which one says this is it the case of both parties shall come before the judges he whom the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor if a man gives his neighbor a donkey an ox a sheep or any animal to keep for him and it dies or is injured or is driven away while no one is looking then an oath before yahweh shall be made by the two of them that he has not laid hands on his neighbor's property and its owner shall accept it and he shall not make restitution but if it is actually stolen from him he shall make restitution to its owner now if it is all torn to pieces let him bring it as evidence he shall not make restitution for what has been torn to pieces if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while its owner is not with it he shall make full restitution but if its owner is with it he shall not make restitution if it is hired it came for its hire if a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and lies with her he must pay a dowry for her to be his wife If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the dowry for virgins. You shall not allow a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. And he who sacrifices to any god other than to Yahweh alone shall be devoted to destruction. You shall not mistreat a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. And if you indeed afflict him, and if he earnestly cries out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to my people, to the afflicted among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun sets. For that is his only covering, It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he sleep in? And it shall be that when he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. You shall not curse God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay the offering from the fullness of your harvest and the juice of your wine vat. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me, and you shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be holy men to me, Therefore you shall not eat any flesh torn to pieces in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. And Exodus 23, we're going to read to verse 13. You shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a case so as to turn aside after the masses in order to cause justice to be turned aside, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his case. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey or one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. You shall not cause the justice due to your needy brother to be turned aside in his case. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not justify the guilty." And you shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. And you shall not oppress a sojourner, since, since you yourselves know the soul of a sojourner. For you also were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Now you shall sow your land for six years, and gather in its produce. But on the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the needy of your people may eat, and whatever they leave the beast of the field may eat. Thus you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you are to do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your maidservant as well as your sojourner may refresh themselves. Now concerning everything which I have said to you, beware, and do not mention the name of other gods, nor let them be heard from your mouth. Matthew 24 verses 1 through 8. And I'm going to grab some coffee. And coming out from the temple, Jesus was going along, and his disciples came up to point out the temple building to him. And he answered and said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Now as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you are going to hear of wars, and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famine and earthquake. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. They will deliver you in tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will deceive many. And because lawlessness is multiplied, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. And whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his garment. (coughs) sorry but woe to to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days but pray that you that your flight will not be in the winter or on a sabbath for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will and unless those days has been cut short no life would have been saved but for the sake of the elect those days will be cut short Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. Therefore, if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out, or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them, for just as the lightning came, I'm sorry, For just as the lightning comes from the east and appears even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. All right, now Psalm 29, and I need some coffee again. All right, Psalm 29, a Psalm of David. Ascribe to Yahweh, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. The voice of Yahweh is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. Yahweh is over many waters. The voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is full of splendor. The voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars. Indeed, Yahweh breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of Yahweh hews out flames of fire. The voice of Yahweh causes the wilderness to tremble. Yahweh causes the wilderness of Kadesh to tremble. The voice of Yahweh makes the deer to calf and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. Yahweh sat enthroned over the flood. Indeed, Yahweh sits as king forever. Yahweh will give strength to his people. Yahweh will bless his people with peace. All right. And finally, Proverbs 7, verses 6 through 23, so kind of a long passage here. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, and discerned among the sons, a young man lacking a heart of wisdom, passing through the street near her corner. And he strides along the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening of that day, in the middle of the night, and in the thick darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot, and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not dwell at home. Stepping in the streets, stepping in the squares, and near every corner she lies in wait. So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, The sacrifice of peace offerings are with me. Today I paid my vows. Therefore I have come out to meet you, to seek your face earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt, I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh aloes and cinnamon come then let us drink our fill as lovers until morning let us delight ourselves with the pleasure of love for my husband is not at home he has gone on a journey far away he took a bag of silver in his hand on the day of the full moon he will come home with her abundant persuasions, she entices him with her flattering lips she drives him to herself He suddenly follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of an ignorant fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare and he does not know that it will cost him his soul. That's clear enough for you. All right. That is our reading for this morning. Um, I hope this time has been edifying for you. I appreciate that you spent this time with me and we're going to go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, Like we usually do on Sunday morning, we're going to close with the Lord's Day morning prayer. Let's pray. O maker and upholder of all things, day and night are thine. They are also mine from thee. The night to rid me of the cares of the day, to refresh my weary body, to renew my natural strength. The day to summon me to new activities, to give me opportunity to glorify thee, to serve my generation, to acquire knowledge, holiness, eternal life. But one day above all days is made especially for thy honor and my improvement. The Sabbath reminds me of thy rest from creation, of the resurrection of my Savior, of of his entering into repose. Thy house is mine, but I am unworthy to meet thee there, and am unfit for spiritual service. When I enter it, I come before thee as a sinner, condemned by conscience and thy word. For I am still in the body and in the wilderness, ignorant, weak, in danger, and in need of thine aid but encouraged by thy all-sufficient grace let me go to thy house with a lively hope of meeting thee knowing that there thou wilt come to me and give me peace my soul is drawn out to thee in longing desires for thy presence in the sanctuary at the table where all are entertained on a feast of good things let me before the broken elements emblems of thy dying love cry to thee with broken heart for grace and forgiveness I long for that blissful communion of thy people in thy eternal house in thy perfect kingdom. These are they that follow the lamb. May I be of their company. Amen. All right. Well, again, thank you for spending this time with me this morning. I hope you have a wonderful day. I would definitely continue to implore you to do all you do for the glory of God. And God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a great one. God bless. <music> Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Sunday, February 5th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a proud member of the Christian podcast community, you go find those podcasts over at podcasts.strivingforeternity.org. I would definitely encourage you to go and listen to them (laughs) and find you some that, that, that really, 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 um, edify you and equip you for the Christian. Um, definitely, definitely worth your time. And, and to be honest, if you get over there and find something you'd rather listen to other than me, I'm all okay with that. Um, there are some wonderful podcasts out there, some some wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ doing a great job for the kingdom. So would definitely encourage you to do that. <coughs> um, so let's go ahead and let's get rolling so we can uh, get into our Bible study, um, continuing in John chapter 5. So we're going to open up like we usually do on Sunday evenings with the first day evening prayer. It's called the teacher. Let's pray. O God, we bless Thee, our Creator, Preserver, Benefactor, Teacher, for opening to us the volume of nature, where we may read and consider Thy works. Thou hast this day spread before us the fuller pages of Revelation, and in them we see what Thou wouldst have us do, what Thou requirest of us, what Thou hast done for us, what Thou hast promised to us, what Thou hast given us in Jesus. We pray Thee for a conscious experience of His salvation in our deliverance from sin, in our bearing his image, and our enjoying his presence, and our being upheld by his free spirit. Let us not live uncertain of what we are, of where we are going. Bear witness with our spirit that we are thy children, and enable each one to say, I know my Redeemer. Bless us with a growing sense of this salvation. If already enlightened in Christ, may we see greater things. If quickened, may we have more abundant life. If renewed, let us go on from strength to strength. Give us closer abiding in Jesus, that we may bring forth more fruit, have a deeper sense of our obligations to Him, that we may surrender all, have a fuller joy, that we may serve Him more completely, and may our faith work by love towards Him who died, towards our fellow believers, towards our fellow men. Amen. All right, now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 5th. The text is Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. At that time, Jesus answered. <clears throat> this is a singular way in which to commence a verse. At this time, Jesus answered. If you will look at the context, you will not perceive that any person had asked him a question or that he was in conversation with any human. Being with any human being sorry yet it is written jesus answered and said i thank thee o father when a man answers he answers a person who has been speaking to him who then had who then had spoken to christ his father yet there is no record of it and this should teach us that jesus had constant fellowship with his father and that god spake into his heart so often so continually that it was not a circumstance singular enough to be recorded It was the habit and life of Jesus to talk with God. Even as Jesus was in this world, so are we. Let us therefore learn the lessons which this simple statement concerning him teaches us. May we likewise have silent fellowship with the Father, so that often we may answer him, and through the world wadeth not to whom we speak, may we be responding to that secret voice unheard of any other ear, which unheard of any other ear which our own ear, opened by the Spirit of God, recognizes with joy. God has spoken to us, let us speak to God, either to set our seal that God is true and faithful to His promise, or to confess the sin of which the Spirit of God has convinced us, or to acknowledge the mercy which God's providence has given, or to express assent to the great truths which God the Holy Ghost has opened to our understanding. What a privilege is intimate communion with the Father of our spirits. It is a secret hidden from the world, a joy with which even the nearest friend intermeddleth not. If we would hear the whispers of God's love, our ear must be purged and fitted to listen to his voice. This very evening may our hearts be, be in such a state that when God speaks to us, we, like Jesus, may be prepared at once to answer him. All right. So like I said, we're going to go ahead and continue on in our study of John chapter 5. Um, you know, that, that's the thing. We've been going along here. We, uh, and again, I'm going to repeat a few things here in the introduction. But, you know, we've been dealing with the case that, that you know, Jesus healed this lame man at the pool of Bethesda. guy Lame for 38 years. Lame to the point he could not get himself into the water ahead of all the other lame and injured and sick people that could not be healed either. that were unhealable by human means. He couldn't even beat them into the water. He's that lame. Yet Jesus healed him. He healed him simply by saying, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man became well and picked up his mat and began to walk. That's Ephesians, or Ephesians, that's John five verses eight and nine. So, He's healed this man. What an amazing miracle. This man who's 38 years, probably a good chunk of his life, has been lame in this way. And he's healed him. But like I said, the Jewish leadership, the Jews, you know, how John the Apostle says, the Jews, meaning the Jewish leadership, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, the the ruling council. They're more worried about the rabbinical laws they've created and put in place over hundreds of years that have nothing to do with God's law. And in a lot of cases, as as we've seen um, a few evenings ago, where Jesus in later parts of John calls them out for putting their laws and and actually in other gospels, their laws before the laws of God or their laws in place and and (coughs) actually refuting the laws of God. And Jesus calls had call, calls them out in those places. So again, they want to put that in. The, instead of noting the miracle, they're more concerned about their loss of power. They're more concerned about the violation of their human statutes, which honestly have no basis, have absolutely no basis in the, in the law of God. They're man-made. They, they are man-made. They are man-created They are man-created for man's power. They have no other purpose. Okay. These are people, he talks about them, people that, that, you know, um, increase the lapels on their, on their, uh, on their robes to look better, that lengthen their tassels so that they show out so that everybody looks at them. Um, it, it's kind of reminiscent of the, and we don't watch these things anymore, but you know, the, the red carpet at the Oscars or any of that, you know, and all the, the thousands, thousands or more dollars that these people spend on these dresses and everything else to get everybody to look at them and go, ooh, that's, thats these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. Okay, that's—that's that's what they do. It's all about look at me, look at me, look how great I am, and look what power I have. That's—that's that's their focus. That—that's what they do. So they're more concerned about that than this great miracle. And like I said, it's this miracle. We've got John the Baptist, the first prophet in over four hundred years the first word from God after over 400 years. And he's pink and he's preaching repentance and belief. And he's witnessing, he's showing the fact that there's one already among them that he then in front of them calls, behold the lamb of God says in John one, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A direct reference to Jesus being the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, and news of the the miracles this man is doing. Circulating. He's already changed water into wine, and he's already healed a noble man's son from a distance. (laughs) It's it's almost like he did it by Zoom. I mean, I'm not trying to be silly, but he did it from a distance. He didn't even go to where the, the young man was and healed him. This word is getting out there, plus the preaching that he is doing is so far beyond what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes are doing. They've got to know he's Christ, but it's more important that their rabbinical laws be upheld. So again, like I said, we get to the point that we basically end up with an impromptu trial, and we see Jesus go through a number of things, Um, you know... uh, He presents that he is equal to God. He shows that he has the power and the direction to perform both the spiritual and the physical resurrection. And then we see him start to bring witnesses. And he brings John the Baptist in verses 33 through 35. And then he brings the witness of his works in verse 36. He brings the witness of the father in verse 37 and 38. And then he brings the witness of the scriptures. He brings the witness of the scriptures. And we see that start in verse 39. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go ahead and read through this segment, verse 39, through the end of the chapter, which is the witness of the scriptures. And then we're gonna focus on just a portion of this. Like I said, we're breaking this up in over four evenings. This is the second evening of it, God willing, um, where we're gonna tackle this. So, um, starting in John 5, verse 39, through the end of the chapter. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So again, verse 39, we saw the scripture started. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness about me. And we saw that. We we called that the search. And really, what he points out there, and and, and um, I forget the quote from R.C. Sproul. It's in my notes from last evening. But basically, it's the idea that Christ is going, "Hey, you dig into the Scriptures, you diligently search the Scriptures, and that's great. But with you doing them, you know, and you're you're digging in them them because you're hoping to find the secret to eternal life. But the fact is, they speak of me. They speak of me, and it's me you're looking for. And it's, you know, he says, it's these that bear witness about me. How can you not, how can you not see and come to Christ? How can you not see and come to me for it? That's what he's saying there in verse 39. So we get into verse 40 and I'm only going to deal with the first half. This is the reproof we see. And we're only going to deal with the first half of it today. We've got four different points within the proof, the reproof. We're only going to deal with two of them today. So this is verses 40 through 42. So I'm going to reread those verses that we're going to focus on this evening. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. So first, let's look at the neglect of Jesus and his doctrine. The doctrine that he was teaching, the neglect of it. This is in verses 40 and 41. And you are willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men. So Jesus goes on to indicate clearly that these Jews, Jewish leaders will not come to him. And we've seen that. I mean, it's it, Jewish is basic or Jewish. Jesus is basically stating the fact that everybody can see. They will not turn to him with a for a saving faith, so that they may have eternal life. This is not an indication of an inability for them to come to Jesus, but a complete unwillingness, despite that the scriptures point to him, as we've seen. I mean, like I said, there are over 100 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to him and that he has met all of them, that he's met them. If they are truly the diligent, the diligent students that Jesus calls them out to be, and Jesus can't lie, so they must be. Why will they not come to him? Well, it's an unwillingness. And he makes clear to them that for them to have life, they must come to him. Um, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. They're unwilling to come to him. And he makes clear that they have to, and that their unwillingness is presenting them from having that eternal life. But then we hit verse 41, I do not receive glory from men. And this verse has multiple meanings. Jesus wasn't looking for the approval of men, for the support of them, and to gain honor from them. Not only did he not receive honor and glory from, from men, he received a large amount of disparagement. He was like, like um I think I've pointed out before, he was called possessed by a demon and he was called a Samaritan and he received great dishonor from man. And, and you know, it's, it's really easy when I was very young, I'd hear, you know, I'd read through that verse where he was called a Samaritan and I'm like, So yeah, believe me in that day and time, that was a horrendous insult to him. And he was called that he wasn't receiving honor from men, nor was he desiring to do so. But ultimately, ultimately the savior did not need the honor, the applause, the glory from men compared to the honor he received from the father and from the heavenly host. He needed no other honor and no other glory. Clearly these Jewish leaders at the least neglected Jesus and his doctrine the doctrine he was teaching. At the least, they were neglecting that. And, and the doctrine he was teaching wasn't new. What he was teaching was directly out of the Old Testament. Yes, he was bringing a new covenant, but the fact is the Old Testament points to the new covenant. It wasn't Jesus inventing something new. He was bringing what God told him, which we can find in the Old Testament. they they neglected his doctrine. They neglected the doctrine he was teaching. They didn't want to listen. Even though being the students he called them, it should have been clear to them what this was. It should be clear to him that his teaching was true and they needed to come to him. But then we see their want of the love of God. Verse 42, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. The Jews thought that they showed their love of God by their Pharisaical adherence to not only the law in the Old Testament, but also to literally loads of man made additions not authorized by God. Um, I, I forget what TV show, and I, I hate to admit that I actually do watch TV, um, actually, probably streaming. Um, but on something I saw recently, it was somebody that came and s- set down this stack of paper that had to be feet high and s- indicated, like, this was a manual. I've er- always heard the, uh, the comment that the, that the tax code that the IRS has to deal with is humongous. So, you know, I, I, I kind of picture it as a, a stack of paper. Taller than I am, and I'm only like 5'8". I used to be 5'9", but I'm shrinking as I get older. But taller than me that is that tax code. Think of that as this, this wad of rabbinical law that they've created that has nothing to do with the law in the Old Testament, has nothing to do with the Mosaic Covenant, has nothing to do with the Mosaic Law, with the law of God. But they think they show their love of God by their adherence to that I mean, yeah, as long as the law of God doesn't interfere with their rabbinical statutes, they'll go along with it. But the minute it comes into conflict, they're going to lean to the side of the rabbinical statutes. But they were pretending to love God when it was obvious that who they loved most was themselves. That's what I told you about, the, the, the wider lapels, more ornate, the longer tassels, the best places at at, at the at court, the best places at the market, the best, you know, at any of those things, at entertainment. The people they loved most was themselves, and they showed that clearly. I mean, that's why they created the rabbinical law. The rabbinical law gave them power. They loved themselves most. I, we see it in our own government now. We see our own government trying to pass laws and put out laws that give them more power and take it away from us. And again, again I'm, not, I'm not trying to argue big government, small government, anything like that. But we've seen that, and we've seen that particularly since September 11th, 2001. Um, we've seen that. We've seen that come forward um, where liberties have been taken away because government wants more power. And we've seen it in a lot of cases where people have sat there and claimed that they were doing it for our safety, but the fact is they were doing it for their own power and go figure whether we're ever going to get that back, okay? That's what these Jewish Jewish leaders are doing. That's what they've done by instituting the rabbinical law. They want the power and they're not going to give it back. And Jesus coming along is that person making clear that they need to give that power back. So no matter what the law of God said, no matter what the prophecies say, they're going to uh, ignore it. They, they show clearly that they don't truly love God. And Jesus obviously knew these Jews and he knew their hearts and that they did they did what they did. Let's see. And that what they did, they did not do out of a love for the father or for him, the son. Um, John 2, 23-25 Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, when they saw his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he had no need that any one bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Revelation 2, 23 and I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. John one forty eight, Nathaniel said to him, From where do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the tr- fig tree, I saw you obviously he knows them. He knows them very well. That's why he calls them out and says, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. And, and, and it really doesn't take Jesus's, um, proclamation. He, he just kind of puts the nail in the coffin there. Um, because the fact is you see it constantly through the gospels, how they just don't, they don't have any true love of God. So no matter what these Jewish leaders claimed, Jesus. Clearly knew they had no love of God in themselves, and he calls them out for that. That they're neglecting his doctrine, which is straight out of the Bible itself, it is straight out of God's word already. He's like I said, he's not inventing anything new. And they don't really love God. They love what they have. And it's really easy for you and I to look at this. And of course, yes, this is in the light of the scriptures, because He's shown in verse 39, they delve and dig into the scriptures as they should. But if they were truly delving into it, that digging and delving and being diligent students of the scriptures should lead them to dig into Jesus and his doctrine, the doctrine he was teaching, to dig into that, to learn that, to pay attention to what he was saying and to grow in that and to grow and to truly come to a saving faith. And it should truly manifest in them a love of God. If they truly delved into it, they would realize that their rabbinical law was wrong and they should turn back to a purely mosaic, should have long before turned back to a purely mosaic love of God. And thus, again, they should be following Christ. They should be looking to Christ. I mean, we see Nicodemus knowing that he needs to talk to him, but still not quite getting it. And Nicodemus is probably the most open of any of them. Though we end up finding out there are others. So we look at that and we go, okay, well, that's them. Really? Is that really them? Or is it us? I mean, I'm not trying to eiseget us into the scripture. But the fact is, in our church today, and I don't necessarily mean my local one, though it may manifest there as well, but throughout the American church today and throughout a good number of the churches in the world, we see manifested a neglect of Jesus and his doctrine. Even though they have the scriptures there, and even in some cases where some of them actually do study they neglect the scriptures they neglect jesus and his doctrine that they they look at the they they look through the text and find the ones where jesus talks about you know take my load upon you it'll be light bring your load to me let me you know all those all those nice passages those passages where it's jesus going i'll take care of you i'll do this i'll do that i'll do this other but they shut down on the passages that turn around and tell us that if you have hate for someone in your heart, that you're a murderer. That if you look on somebody with lust in your eyes, you're an adulterer. They don't want to see those. They ignore the full doctrine of Jesus. They, they, they take the parts of what he said because, you know, you have ones already that say, you know, they go, well, I just want to see the you know, they're red letter Christians is, is one of the terms used and, and it's actually disparagingly used. And again, I'm not trying to disparage anybody, but it's they want to see the words of Jesus in that alone and they want to ignore the epistles. They don't like what Paul says. Paul is too harsh and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I'm not going to go. We can spend hours talking about that. <clears throat> but in, some, in a lot of cases, those folks even get to the point that they only want the parts of what Jesus says that they want, that they're willing to accept, that fits into what they want. That's what these Jewish leaders are, have, are doing, and this is what Jesus is calling them out about, and it's what he calls us about out about. It's not about what we want the scriptures to say. It's not about what we want Jesus to be. I've said it before. Jesus is very, very clear. And and, and the fact is our saving faith comes from a belief that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and not an intellectual belief, but a belief, a true belief that he is our savior, that the Jesus of the Bible in all that he said and did is our savior. He is our Lord and savior, that we are obedient to him, that we are to be obedient to him in all that he says. And in doing so, and that obedience flows out of this overwhelming love that we have for what He's done for us, the sacrifices He's made for us. But obviously, these guys wouldn't do it. And if we don't, if we try to hang on to our pets, and, and I'm not talking our our animal pets, I'm talking our pets within the scriptures. Well, this is the Jesus I know. This is the Jesus I worship. We want to hang on to those couple of little scriptures here and there that make us feel good. And we don't face and deal with the scriptures that convict us. That the Jesus we claim to worship is not the Jesus of the Bible. And it does not bring us saving faith. If that's who we're hanging on to, if that's who we worship, if that's who we believe in, then we are not saved. That's fact. That, that's not being, me being harsh. That's me loving you to let you know that the fact is the only way we come to a saving faith in Christ is that the Holy Spirit moves in us so that we are regenerate and we come to a true soul deep belief that the Jesus of the Bible is the Christ. Is the Messiah is our Lord and Savior. We don't get to warp it. We don't get to twist it. We don't get to wrap our own little rabbinical laws around it to overwrite those things. We don't get to grab chunks out of the out of our culture and say, "Well, I know they said that back in first century, but you know this is how we do things nowadays." We don't get to do that, and and you know that goes for the whole, um, and and it goes for the the adulterousness of our generation. Um, as it is, I mean, any of the adultery, wh- whether it is wh- whether it is heterosexual, whether it is homosexual, whether it is it is transsexual, whether it is any of those things, that adulterous nature of our gener- of our, of our culture out there, we don't get to try to shove that in and use that to shape the Christ we 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 are to serve, the Christ who is to be our Lord and Savior. If we do that. We are not saved. That's fact. And we've got to know that. And what we've got to do is we've got to, like Jesus was trying to call these Jewish leaders to, we have to come to him, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that is in the scripture. We've got to be those diligent students, like he points out that these these Pharisees are. And we've got to realize they bear witness to him, to all of him. And we have to come to him. And in coming to him, we have to manifest that we love him and we love God truly. That our first love is not ourselves. That's where we've got to end up. Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer. We're going to close like we usually do on Sunday evenings with the Lord's Day evening prayer. Let's pray. Most holy God, may the close of an earthly Sabbath remind me that the last of them will one day end. Animate me with joy, that in heaven praise will never cease, that adoration will continue forever, that no flesh will grow weary, no congregations disperse, no affections flag, no thoughts wander, no will droop, but all will be adoring love. Guard my mind from making ordinances, my stay or trust, from hewing out broken cisterns, from resting on outward helps. Wing me through earthly forms to thy immediate presence. May my feeble prayers show me the emptiness and vanity of my sins. Deepen in me the conviction that my most fervent prayers and most lowly confessions need to be repented of. May my best services bring me nearer to the cross and prompt me to cry, None but Jesus. By thy Spirit give abiding life to the lessons of this day. May the seed sown take deep root and yield a full harvest. Let all who see me take knowledge that I have been with thee. That Thou hast taught me my need as a sinner, hast revealed a finished salvation to me, hast enriched me with all spiritual blessings, hast chosen me to show forth Jesus to others, hast helped me to dispel the mists of unbelief. O great Creator, mighty Protector, gracious Preserver, Thou dost load me with loving kindness, and hast made me Thy purchased possession, and redeemed me from all guilt. I praise and bless Thee for my Sabbath rest, my calm conscience, my peace of heart. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. I hope the time together has been edifying. I hope you have a wonderful evening and God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.